0: Hey, welcome to Souls and Hearts Be With the Word. I'm Dr. Jerry Crete. I'm a marriage and family therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm here with my co host.
1: I'm Dr. Peter Malinowski, clinical psychologist in Indianapolis, Indiana.
0: All right. Good to be with you, Dr. Peter.
1: It is good to be with you. I've missed you. You've been gone, so it's great to have you back.
0: I know, I know. It was, you know, I got to see you with somebody else. I felt like, whoa, you
1: <laughs> <laughs> feeling. I'm
0: replaceable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great to work with Jody in the last in the last in the last episode. She did a great job. Really appreciative of having of having her uh, fill in for you. Uh, as if that could be done but she did a great job so
0: wonderful good to hear well really excited about our show today because we're going to be talking about superiority complexes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm going to be and i think that action item at the end is going to be about how to kind of manage someone or live with someone or understand someone in our lives who may have a superiority or for that matter an inferiority complex because we'll be exploring right. a little bit how those are in some ways two sides of the same coin, right?
1: So is this episode 49? Are we already at episode, episode 49? 49. Next week's a biggie. Wow. And and so the title of this that you picked, what what do we got for a title? The title is
0: Understanding Superiority Complexes. All right,
1: <laughs> understanding. I am on board with this. I yeah. love cuz who of us haven't had that experience, right? Of coming up against somebody who gets puffed up, who gets bigger than, you know, getting bigger than than life, well, right? Large and in charge, right? We had a little dilemma, right? Because when we were getting ready
0: for the show and we're talking about it, uh, we just quickly wanted a a fast definition, right? Of an inferiority complex, superiority. And on Wikipedia, it says an inferiority complex is a term used to describe people who compensate for feelings of inferiority by acting in ways that make them appear superior. Uh, They do this because controlling others may help them feel less personally inadequate. But we actually took issue with that. That's yeah. actually the definition of
1: a superiority complex, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what that is a definition of is compensation. I mean, if you looked at that from a psychodynamic perspective, you know, that's that's a defense of compensation. So Wikipedia, I mean, there's probably a lot of good, but it's not. It doesn't actually. And this is the tricky thing with with uh, psychological terminology is that it can be defined differently mm-hmm. depending on who is who's who's doing the definition right so now to be fair if you scroll
0: down they do provide a definition from the cambridge dictionary of psychology which is more accurate i'm not going to read the whole thing but basically there it is saying that a inferior inferiority complex is where an individual believes they're unable to cope with some aspect of life because they believe they're deficient right which is really what an inferiority complex is. But I'm really fascinated in that. But I'm also fascinated in the people that feel that because they uh, they're less than, they believe somehow they're less than, that then they choose to kind of lower that over, or you know, de- uh, demean in some way other people. Right, and that's right. where I was kind of going. Where I pulled that out of the the readings. And by the way, if you haven't and you want to hear all the readings for the 30th Sunday in Ordinary Time, which is the one we're talking about today, go over to hear the word and listen to Dr. Peter and I read it to you. Uh, or just pick up your Bible and re- or your lectionary and read. But uh, we'd love to see you over there. But okay, so the, wh- where this came out of was I was interested in Exodus and God is basically reproaching pretty serious terms the people who are cruel to widows and orphans or basically extortion you know being extortioners
1: aliens foreigners yeah that's he's 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 like definitely warning the israelites that they have to take care of not only their own but they have to take care of others too. Like this is this isn't just about the Israelites taking care of the Israelites. It's also talking about not oppressing, not oppressing aliens. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting.
0: Exactly. And as a Canadian here, I feel like I relate to that. I don't want to be oppressed. <laughs> here you are. I'll, I'll
1: work hard not to oppress you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. But I mean,
0: I was really interested in this idea, though. Like, why? Why do people do that? You know, and, and there's lots of reasons. And, and we can explore a lot of reasons why, why somebody is cruel to someone else. Right. Or even as we see with the Sadducees and, or Pharisees, whatever, we've been seeing in Matthew all year long. Right. How they, they're hypocritical and they want to put burdens on people, right? right? And be so rigid. Why do they have to be so hard? Why do some people have to be so hard on others to make themselves feel good?
1: So right. I was really curious about that. Well, that's where we brought in these complexes, right? The inferiority complex and the superiority complex. We were thinking about those from from Adler, in Adlerian terms, right? This is this is Alfred Adler, one of the students of Freud, broke away from him very early on in the development of psychodynamic or psychoanalytic thought. And he was the first one to sort of really get into some of these some of these ideas in a way yeah. that really expanded on some of Freud's original work. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I know Adler, especially because he brings in the social context and the sense of belonging. And, and I think a lot of the family therapists and the systemic therapists drew on that, which was really a, he differed from Freud, uh, on his focus on that sort of a shift away from the purely in, in, you know, internal right. view of the self into understanding the person in their environment.
1: And in that, he anticipated people like Eric Erickson, you know, other ones that came after him. He was also, like, really, he emphasized memory. Uh, and that's really where I came across Alfred Adler was in his, uh, the, the importance of the role of autobiographical memory, your memories about yourself and how we make meaning out of our memories, right? And our memories are shaped by the meanings we give them. So that's kind of how I, so I came at Adler from a very intrapsychic mm-hmm. type of perspective, very different ways of looking at the same the same uh, yeah. the same theorist, right? So.
0: I've worked in a lot of schools. I've worked in the education system, and Adler is pr- pretty much, you know, a founding father in some ways of a lot of modern educational thinking and psychology that's used to bring in, you know, parenting. Um, and uh, he's just—he's a huge—he's—he's—he's he's, he's made such a big difference. A Make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but we're talking about—we're talking about sort of superiority complexes like what kinds of why does why does our lord have to tell us these things like why why you know what what's going on that that he has to say don't take advantage of people don't oppress people don't um lord it over people right
0: so i am really wondering um if i don't have a right view of who i am right if i think that i'm a worm (laughs) or I'm in, or I can't, I'm not capable of, you know, great things. If I am deficient in some way, then I have to figure out a way to make myself feel better, right? I could take a helpless stance and not do anything. And that sort of, to me, plays into
1: that inferiority complex. Right. To be rescued. Right. Because that's a setup for a rescue. Right. I mean, if right. I if I become helpless, if I become inca- incapacitated, then maybe somebody will come and rescue me. Yeah. The other side of it is is the superiority complex.
0: Right. Right. So in other words, I have to make myself look better and lorded over other people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a very difficult person. To, to manage, to be able to live with, to be, say, if it's your, somebody in your family, or if it's your boss, uh-huh. you know, how do you, how do you handle a person who is
1: behaving out of a superiority complex? Right, right. That's what we're going to be diving into today. And I think it's really, like you were saying, it's really important to get at what is driving The behavior, right? Because that's what we experience. We experience the behavior, we experience the emotion in the other person, but we don't always get at what's behind the scenes, right? We tend to have very limited interpretations. Like, you know, when somebody's acting very large and in charge, somebody's acting very puffed up, right? We can simply say, well, that's just who they are, right? They're just, they're just, uh, they're just uh, an idiot like that. They're just, uh, they're just mean, Right, where rarely is that capture the, the 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 nuance of who that person really is and what they're dealing with at that time.
0: Right. Well, you know what? I honestly um, I felt that way about certain politicians. I don't know if we want to get into naming names. <laughs> There's sort of a big notable one, but uh, who, who seems to operate from a superiority complex? And I think it's easy to either just accept it. Or to be so angry about it that you get kind of tied up in knots, right? Uh, or
1: to or to gravitate toward it, to say, yeah, maybe he is all of that. You know, right. I mean that's that that's attractive to some people to for there to be this image projected of somebody being um larger than life, right? So yeah. I think there's all different kinds of reactions that people can have towards that. Um But I think what, what you were what you were hinting at is that and what we what we were talking about was that this inferiority and the superiority are two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. they actually have the same underlying psychological dynamics and that's what we really want to get into today because i think this really impacted the pharisees i think this was a huge part of what was going on in the pharisees when we get into the later chapters of matthew yeah
0: well i think they were threatened right so in in so many ways, Jesus comes in. He actually is healing others. He's act people are listening to him. He's touching people's hearts, and I don't have the impression that the Pharisees are known for doing that. Right. <laughs> and so they're being threatened as religious leaders. So right. they have to do something to like put him in his place,
1: right? Right. So, I've, or, to, or to find out who he is, right? Because at least at this point, like like we were talking about before the show, they were he was they were testing him. Like we trying to figure out who is this guy, right? right. And you know, see, I don't
0: think I I don't know I don't think that I um, do well or most of us do well when we feel very threatened by someone who comes in who's getting more applause, more notice who's actually doing their job better than we do, right? You know, like we're both therapists. I think we're both good therapists, but if somebody came along and like next door to us, who was, everybody was just going on, they were the best therapist they've ever had, right? Wouldn't we feel threatened, right? Wouldn't it evoke some aspect of maybe deep down, I don't, there's a part of me that does really feel like I'm not good enough. Right, And so all of a sudden my reaction would be either I could collapse and be like, yeah, I'm the worst person ever, I'm a th- terrible therapist, or I have to prove that I'm better, right? So isn't that, Would you say that's the two sides? Those are
1: the two sides, right? I think we, we naturally gravitate toward one or the other, but it also can depend on what kind of mode we're operating in, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we, you know, like... If we're really, and I think that's what Jesus was doing with the Pharisees, right? There were, there were different ways that he interacted with the Pharisees, sometimes to puncture that superiority complex, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. to puncture through those narcissistic defenses and sometimes to gently try to show and teach them something, which is what's happening in the gospel, uh, this time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you
0: know, honestly, I think some level of recognizing our, that we're inferior. And that's probably not the right word. But that we're not perfect. Yeah. Right? Got and, flaws. And,
1: we got limitations.
0: Yeah, can be motivating, right? A little bit of a sense of Oh, you know, maybe it's not, you know, uh, I don't know who it would be for you. Like Dick Schwartz didn't move in and set up a practice next door to you, right? <laughs> that would be well, intimidating. But maybe the fact that there are other good therapists in the general area shouldn't be a source of you either being, or me, being puff, puffed, puffing up or collapsing. It could be a motivation. Hey, I gotta stay on my game and maybe right. have something to learn from them. And it could be right. like a positive,
1: Right. right. Well, and again, I think it depends on where we're, I think a lot of this goes back to safety, right? Like you had Mm -hmm. hinted at, right? You don't feel safe when somebody's attacking you. Um, If they can get at, if they can sort of home in on, you know, your butter, your buttons or your levers around your sense of self-worth. Right. If they can activate your shame, that's really what it comes down to is can they activate, can they activate your shame? right and there are reasons why people attempt to do that to activate your shame
0: yeah so. you know it's interesting um in in the thessalonians we're just at the very beginning of the letter and we have saint paul say is pretty really kind beautiful things to the thessalonians in this opening part right we we do know just a little bit later that he does have um a reproach might be going a little far but he has some corrections and he has right. some some rebukes in there um but he look where he starts he leads with encouragement right he he praises them he actually notices their achievements he notices what they're doing well he he recognizes them and 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 not in a just a flattery way but in a in a in a real he speaks truth to them
1: it's yeah it's true this is all true and remember these letters Back in those days were usually read out loud. Most of the people would hear this rather than read it. Right. First of all, manuscripts were very expensive to copy and so forth. A lot of people couldn't read and write. So a lot of a lot of the way these letters were shared was in community read aloud. And one can hear the affection in and and the way that Paul is, you know, is is treating his beloved Thessalonians. Right, yeah. and that's a beautiful thing to see because what that does is to help to help there be a sense of safety, right? Right. Help there to right. be a sense of acceptance, of affirmation, of love, of appreciation. He doesn't start with his with his reproaches or his rebukes or the things that they need to be corrected on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And now we're not assuming that they were coming into it with an inferiority or a superiority complex, but but if something in them could have been activated negatively. Right. 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 If he had started it harshly, but but actually starting out with truth and encouragement, which I think is a major premise of Alfred Adler. Right. Is is encouragement, but with responsibility, the idea that you you encourage and that promotes a sense of responsibility. Right. So you don't right. just go in and say, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. You stop that. You, you come in and you show them what they're doing well and they feel good about it and you're having a dialogue with them and then they feel responsible. Like they want to be good citizens. They want to be good, you know, agents or stewards and so on. Right. So it's cool that Paul does this. Right. He's Kind of a master psychologist in his own way.
1: Right. No, I mean, (laughs) I, I think it's, it's a, it's an example for us, right? Because we want to know how to understand folks that are, you know, acting superior We want to know how to be able to uh, navigate when we're uh, working with somebody like that. We've got to maybe live with them or work with them or, or, you know, we're in relationship with them in some way. And I think if we can get to behind the show, behind the presentation, if we can get inside their phenomenological worlds, we can be with them in an entirely different way. We can change the dynamics of those relationships. If we can be present enough to not have to be so preoccupied with our own reactions, to be free enough to enter into their, into, into their world. That's, that's the critical thing right there. Can we do
0: that? You know, it's rare, isn't it? It's rare to find someone that you meet who treats you in a way that seems to call forth your true identity, Mm. right? Somebody that's just, sees the good and treats you with that, with that kind of respect, sees whatever. I mean, we can talk about being created in the image of God and that could all be theoretical, mm-hmm. right? Just to but mind. Yeah. We, yeah. Like we know that's a good thing and that's true. And therefore we have all this great dignity and yet that's not an actual, doesn't feel that way. But when somebody sees in us that image and treats us with that love and respect, and encourages us to fully be who we are, wow, that is so powerful and and meaningful. And then I think that person who feels so affirmed and so appreciated is in a position to then possibly receive um, uh, direction or correction or whatever might be needed because they're not threatened in their identity, in their, their foundation is not
1: threatened. Yeah. See, that's the thing. When you use these paradoxical, when you use these, these, these larger than life uh, defenses, right. With the superiority complex or or sort of a narcissistic presentation, that's sort of grandiose. It almost always backfires, right. It almost always alienates other people, leads them to not like you. And, you know, and then that just kind of, that, but then, what happens is those defenses tend to, to become more rigid, right? Yeah. And so, we need to learn who we are through the eyes of somebody who loves us. That's what's going to actually correct us, uh, yeah. correct the disorder within us. That's what's going to heal, is to experience ourselves through the eyes of a loving other. Yeah. Right. You know,
0: and 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 I think that's so interesting. I love the way you worded that because I was struggling. And I'm less struggling right now with Exodus after what you just said, because here's what I was struggling with. Because we walk into Exodus, and I love the fact that God, of course, is, you know, wanting to stand up for the um, uh, 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 aliens, widows, orphans, and so on. But his in this passage alone, right? Just take it out of its the bigger context of the whole Old Testament. <laughs> um, he's pretty harsh then in saying, basically, I'm going to make you. Your wives, widows. I'm going to make your children orphans if you don't do this. So there is that strong like reproach. And there was a part of me just sort of struggling with that. You know, in the Old Testament, of course, sometimes we have passages that are harder like that. But if I look at it in the whole context, right, and it is, there's clues in this passage for what I'm going to say. I mean, God did what we're just describing already for them. He already gave them their identity. He already loved them. He already, um, cherished them. And, and in fact, brought them out of slavery, right. And gave them a home and all this. And, and he did all that out of love. Right. And that's what we're being called to do and, and what we receive from God, but, but so, so in a way then his wrath, right when they should turn around and be cruel in some way to others is his, is the legitimate reaction. Right.
1: Right. He's never unjust. And so, you know, his wrath, his wrath has the elements of justice in it. But I also think that, you know, there was a steep learning curve there, you know, and sometimes some of the interventions had to be pretty firm, you know, he's holding limits and boundaries with them, right? Because he, he also loves these, these other peoples. They're his, they're, they're his creation too, right? Yeah. So, um, so he does not want the chosen people to be mistreating them.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes we do need the kick in the butt. <laughs> we do need sobering and we need to realize, whoa, we crossed the line.
1: You know, it reminds me, we've been getting into this in the uh, Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem podcast in episode 37, and we'll do a little more in episode 38, too, as that's just come out, uh, on, like, the upside of shame. Um, You know, shame actually has essential functions, and some clinicians actually recognize that it's gotten a bad, it's gotten a bad rap, and it's understandable, because some people just have such crippling shame, and I think it's a, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a such a huge problem. I think it's actually the primary problem that most people have. But I also think we and this is there's some researchers Boone Steele, uh, Vanderhart who talk about how shame also helps us to understand what's acceptable and not acceptable in our communities, right? It it's got a guiding signaling function, right? And we don't want we don't want it to be driven. Um, by, you know, malice or by people who are intent on shaming us in order to control us. But there is an element where our shame responses help us to conform to what what good expectations are.
0: Yeah, so. I think that's interesting because, you know, Brene Brown, who's so big and, and has said so much on vulnerability and shame, she actually defines guilt as I did something wrong and shame as I am bad or wrong. And, and I think that's really helpful. But um, in fact, though, the traditional definition of shame isn't quite that. Because right. the traditional definition is shame has a social context. Right. It isn't right. just I feel bad about myself. It's um, I did something like if, if you are in a store and you stick something in your, you steal some stuff, you put it inside your jacket and you walk out. And then the alarms go on and security guards show up and they open up your jacket and poof, all the stuff falls right. out. Everybody in the store sees you. Right. You're going to experience shame. Right. And that has a function <laughs> like that. The right. corrective, there's right. a corrective element to, right. Yeah. You did something wrong and right. everyone saw it.
1: Right. Like, And that's, that's a difference between some of the traditional definitions of shame. Like you're saying, like it's, it's, Guilt is I violated my standards of right and wrong. Shame is I violated somebody else's standards of right and wrong, you know, somebody who's important to me. Mm. Um, you know, that's the social context. Or the communities, community. yeah. Right, the community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and God knows that we're not always going to do everything uh, with perfect motives, right? And so sometimes that motive of wanting to stay accepted in your community, uh, you know, has, has, powerful, has powerful impact, even if... Even if we might not be thinking of God in that moment, right? Or no. maybe we don't even believe in God at all. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that that can be hard for some people to take, though, because their their association with shame is just that it's so bad that you know, right. that They can't tolerate how there might be something you know uh, advantageous about it or beneficial to it.
0: Right. Right. Well, I think that if you define the terms the way that Brene Brown does, right, it makes sense that then you would eradicate shame right? Because you would want to get to know what is my true identity. And this identity that we have as Christians, which is, is as sons and daughters of God, right? That's an unparalleled, amazing dignity. And we have to appropriate it, right? right? So that would make sense. The part we're talking about, the traditional definition of shame would mean, you know, you do have to think of shame As a thing that
1: helps you grow in sanctification, right? It's an unpleasant
0: way. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, and you can think about this. You can think about this by looking at, you know, like would we would we think that for somebody to be shameless would that be good, right? You know, uh, or if you or if you look at people who have no consideration or value on societal norms or values who so don't worry at all about the opinions of others. I mean, the, the one personality style that you see that in is uh, sociopathy. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's psychopaths, you know, have that there's that no defining. And that nobody would say that that would be the way to resolve shame, right? Like that, right. that you want to move there. So there's a lot of definitional ambiguity around shame. And, um,
0: -hmm.
1: and, uh, and I get into that in episode 37 of, uh, of the coronavirus crisis Carpe Diem podcast. There's actually five different ways that, uh, that you understand shame and emotion is only one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you're interested in that, I would check that out, go back over there and take a look at, at that one. And we're getting into the spiritual, we get into the spiritual dimensions of shame in episode 38. So sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I love, I love talking about that because I think shame, I think that drives so much negative behavior, so many, so much sinful behavior. You know, if you, if you follow it back psychologically and I'm setting aside the the moral aspects of this right now. Okay. But if you look at like psychological drivers or psychological influences, shame is so, so huge because that's what drives so much self-protection so much reaching for security, you know, things like that, that, Often have such a negative such a negative impact on other people,
0: yeah, even yeah. when
1: that's unintended, even when that's unintended it's still harmful
0: yeah so. really it's interesting it speaks to me we didn't say much but maybe just say something about the gospel because it does mention both soul and heart right <laughs> and that we're to right. love God with our with our uh soul our our whole soul our whole uh, mind and our whole heart and that's really to me and I know different people have different ways of looking at this and I think we were talking before and and you might have a different way of looking at it but to me that actually does feel safe because if I surrender to God with my whole heart soul mind then I I actually do feel like safe in that and because I know that I'm entering into a relationship of love and safety but I know as you were mentioning before and in, in your podcast yeah. so much, negative God images and everything else that that doesn't always feel safe. Right.
1: Doesn't always feel safe. Yeah. And so sometimes if the other person can really feel something like that from you, if you don't, if you don't, uh, react and engage in that dance, you know, where, um, where you get, offended, right, and and, and and threatened back, right, then there's a possibility for this thing to de-escalate in certain situations, right? I mean, if you're really dealing with somebody that's got a lot of malignant narcissism, that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually thinking about, I do a lot of uh, therapist training uh, and with graduate students, for example, you know, and it's really helpful when they have to come up against somebody that um, is, you Really, uh, really has a superiority complex and can tap into their insecurities as a young developing therapist, right? What happens is the focus all gets sucked inside, and they 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 struggle with the capacity to see the other, to see the client, right, as as um, outside of the meaning of the client in relationship to them, and sort of as a separate autonomous being, you know, that's not just a threat to them right so a lot of it is just really being grounded in those situations Mm. yeah i
0: love that it really you were saying what you what you were saying made me think that we didn't highlight this point that i think i wanted to make and i think you did too which which is really that when you get underneath a superiority complex you find a broken hurting person yeah right you find a person who has wounds right just as much as the person with the inferiority, that one's more easy to spot the wounds. Right, right. But when you go in and see the wounded person, right, um, you're seeing them with God's eyes, which of course right. is hard to do when they're acting in ways that are unkind or pushy, bossy, mean. <laughs> depends,
1: on, depends on how grounded you are. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's sometimes easier for me to see that if I'm well-grounded, you know? Like, for example, if I've got a clinical presentation, somebody's just coming to my office, you know, you can sometimes see this with seminarian candidates, right? Where they're going to be like, I've got it all together, you know? Or, um, you know, I've had air traffic control candidates tell me I've got no problems, you know? And have sort of presented in this kind of very grandiose way. And and, and, And if I'm not threatened by it, I can i can i can see the little boy in there you know um, you know it's really hurting
0: yeah you know what's funny and this is just coming kind of random but uh when my wife and i were on vacation we watched a few episodes of the old carol burnett show <laughs> uh, and uh it's interesting because i haven't seen it in so long uh, i always thought she was very funny but what was what was why i'm bringing this up is is a comedian like carol burnett and so many other comedians are in a sense shameless in the sense that they're willing, not in a negative way necessarily, but like in, they're willing to just be so vulnerable with their bodies, with their expressions, with their, you know, even the self, what are, deprecation's too harsh, but like self, you know, they're, they're willing to put themselves out there and they don't care. And I think that is so refreshingly disarming for viewers that it causes us to laugh because it allows us to laugh at ourselves and it allows us to then be freed up from some of the shame for a while. And and, and I, so it's just sort of, I think I'm getting into a psychology of comedy, which I wasn't preparing to do today, but maybe that's another episode.
1: (laughs) Well, I was struck because I just, I watched a Ted talk by Brene Brown. Right. And she kind of talks about how she got into studying shame and she brings up a lot of like her own story. And on how this impacted her. And it's like really moving. It's not surprising to me that she's had 50 million views on YouTube for some of her her TED Talks. It's because there's a vulnerability and a realness in that. Which actually, in contrast to the person who's operating with that superiority complex, it's that that's disarming. Right? We hope that this the strong presentation is going to disarm the other person, right? It's going to, it's going to lead them to back off. It's going to lead to safety, but really counterintuitively, when you're in that mode, it's actually the openness, the vulnerability. And that's what our Lord's inviting us to, right? He's inviting the Pharisees to love the Lord, your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole, in your whole, um, your whole soul,
0: which is the vulnerability.
1: Which is a vulnerability. You can't do that unless you're being vulnerable, right? He's inviting them to that vulnerability. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, one of the funny things in the movie, in the movie, um, uh, I think it was Red 2, um, was there was this line between these two action heroes, and one is always encouraging the other to make to make the break into emotional vulnerability. They're being shot at, you know, and they're in this terrible cir- circumstances. But, you know, but what 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 the one is saying to the other is that you've got to make this break into emotional vulnerability, right? And, you know, and it's like, yeah, it they actually can feel like we're under siege. It can feel like we are being attacked. And can we take the hits? And that's yeah. a lot of what goes into therapist training is can you be present and love the client even when the client is attacking you? Right. Because that may be the way that the client knows how to try to feel safe in the session. Wow. You know, and can you can you can you be there and can you take it, or do you close off? Right? Do you have to withdraw? Do you have to put up your own defenses? Do you have to correct the client? You know, whatever to um to uh to to protect yourself. No. I don't know. Well, that might lead a little bit to our action item, right? Right.
0: It's very yeah. simple. Um, I like you to think of someone. Um, in your life, it could be a family member or somebody you work with or something that, um, that does exhibit, at least sometimes, right? Some kind of, perhaps it's a superiority complex. So it could be some behavior where it feels like they're compensating by being extra, maybe extra harsh, bossy, pushy, some, some kind of behavior. And so first take a moment and bring that up. Notice what happens in you. You know what what kind of triggers kind of show up to to want to defend against that.
1: Especially like if you're replaying a scene where you remember mm-hmm. a difficult interaction. You know, right. you can't go back to that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So so actually, like, yeah, let's replay that scene, and let's try to bring some compassion. Right. Let's try the action item here is just to replay a scene with a person who was difficult and try to bring some compassion. We're not excusing their behavior. We're certainly, if there's abuse of some kind, no, right. Not talking about that, but, 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 but we're bringing some compassion and seeing what happens, at least in this exercise, you know, is there a softening on the other side? And if there isn't, is there a softening or at least is there, um, less tension and anxiety for you? Right. Because maybe you're able to see past their exterior right. right right, and not allow yourself to be to go into defense mode right right or go into attack mode or whatever it is
1: and and in fact see through it right,, and it helps to see them as small, you know like three years old, five years old, something like that, you know see see what what kind of fear they might be experiencing, see them as being insecure because part of the part of that defense is to get you to believe that they're not because mm-hmm. the idea is if they can get you to believe that they're not afraid that they're not ashamed that they're not inadequate then maybe they can believe that about themselves mm-hmm. you know but it always backfires it doesn't actually lead anybody to 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 heal yeah and that kind of behavior is happening so
0: yeah yeah so that's our action item for uh, for this week And, uh, we're not going to solve all the world's problems with that or change someone's
1: behavior necessarily, but you, you'll feel better. Yeah. Yeah. If you can be grounded, it helps so much. That's what I spend all the time with these clients Mm -hmm. or with the, with the therapists, with these, with these therapists in training is to, is to be able to be present and to be okay inside, uh, regardless of what the client is offering, you know, in Mm -hmm. the moment, um, And, you know, I was thinking that if if folks really want to get into this stuff, these two recent episodes, episodes 37 and 38 of the Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem podcast, this stuff's right up that alley. And I want to let people know that the Resilient Catholics Carpe Diem community, that is actually going to be temporarily suspending new members. We're keeping all the members we got, right? All the members that are in right now are in. But we are doing some great program planning. We're doing some great pioneering work in there about how you work with these kinds of issues. The whole community is all about how do you tolerate being loved? How do you take love in? How do you feel safe, secure? And how do you love other people and love God better? So if this kind of stuff floats your boat, I would encourage you to go to Souls and Hearts. Go to the little tab up on the top that says All Courses and Shows uh, and check out the the uh, Resilient Catholics Carpe Diem community. It's I think it's it's a unique place online to be able to practice this kind of stuff. We've got all kinds of exercises, all kinds of guided imagery things, workshops, and then just the interactions among the members also. So, heartily encourage you to do that. On November 3rd, we're going to temporarily suspend uh, new members. We'll have a waiting list, so you can get on the waiting list after November 3rd, uh, but then we're not going to reopen it until 2021. So. So take advantage it's a wonderful yeah. opportunity yeah. Um, so thank you
0: all for being with us and well, I, uh, had more,
1: I had one more one oh. more thought you know there's also some real advantages to the um how to help a loved one in distress there's actually some some things about this mm. that would be helpful in that free course too uh, dr true. Jerry about yeah. how to love a, yeah just about how to prepare to love somebody those modules on preparing to love people actually bring in some real practical recommendations that would be helpful for this kind of thing as well so
0: Sounds good. Check that out. We've got lots of free material on there. Yeah, that one directly relates to what we're talking about. Well, listen, we can't wait to see you next week for our 50th episode. We made it this far. (laughs) We're going to keep on going. So uh, thanks again. We uh, really do value your uh, input. So feel free to share comments on our YouTube channel if you're listening there or uh, on our website. Um, But please subscribe and please share with others and let them know yeah. what you're doing. If, if you're, uh, if you're enjoying our programs. All right. Well, until next time, be still. Believe. Be loved.
1: Be loved. Take good care. God bless y'all.